Hey everyone, I'm your host Amanda and this is Light It Up. In this part, we're shining a light on Extreme Lighthouses, a collection of episodes on the first, the last, the most isolated and more. In today's episode, we cover Macquarie Lighthouse with Peter Shirk, the site of the first lighthouse in Australia. Max, do you think it's a bit of a stretch to call this lighthouse an extreme lighthouse, given it's right in the middle of Sydney CBD? I mean, I guess the extreme nature of the lighthouse might be the property prices that it sits on. (laughs) (laughs) The most expensive uh, lighthouse in Australia. Yeah, I mean, you know, if Mr Gribble was ever looking to um, convert a lighthouse into some pretty expensive property, I think this is the spot that he'd probably pick. (laughs) You are totally right. It's tucked away in Vaucluse, probably one of the most expensive suburbs in Sydney. Who would have thought government saw fit to put a lighthouse on such valuable land? Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't always that way, but certainly is in, uh, in 2022. You're a Sydney local, right, Max? Have you have you been there? I have been to this lighthouse. Yes, one of the few in the podcast that I've actually have experience with. It's um it's right next to maybe the second most beautiful cemetery in Sydney. Um, which yeah, I presume when you do season two of this podcast, you're going to do it on um, cemeteries of Australia. That I think that's a natural uh, progression. Lighthouses, you know, a dying profession to. Why not go straight to the punch of it? Death. Uh, yeah, actual death. But the, I mean, it's a, it is in a, a truly beautiful, beautiful spot in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. You might have noticed that I said it's the site of the first lighthouse and not the first lighthouse. What could that possibly mean, Max? Oh, I'm guessing they didn't do like a, you know, house removal and, uh, and push it from somewhere else to somewhere else, did they? Not quite. They have done that actually for other light stations, but not this one. So there has been a navigational aid in this vicinity since 1791 and a lighthouse near the present site since 1818. So the original Macquarie Lighthouse was actually designed by a convict architect called Francis Greenway. I suspect most people in the 1800s in Australia would have been convict, so probably don't need to put convict before every title. Yeah, I mean, convict times, it was a little bit messier than it is now. (laughs) Yes. And they were just handing out titles left, right and centre. You know, you're probably the first postman, the first governor there. But anyway, (laughs) he, uh, he designed it for Lachlan Macquarie, the governor of New South Wales. The current heritage listed lighthouse was completed in 1883, by James Barnett, who we got to know a little bit about in part two with Joe Kygis. So Macquarie Lighthouse recently, in inverted commas, celebrated its 200th anniversary. I say recently because, you know, the last few years don't really count. That's uh, very true, even in lighthouse years. Yes. And in fact, you can buy a 200th anniversary medallion and stamp. Only 3,000 were made, all to be sold for the royal sum of $15. Should you want to commemorate wow. your time there? Yeah. <laughs> that's um I don't think that's gonna necessarily make the cost back even. It's 2022. Surely they should be selling them as NFTs. <laughs> yeah, non-fungible lighthouse tokens. I think we're onto something, Max. Maybe I should uh, cut this section of the podcast out so we can go work away on our uh, NFT that can be bought through crypto. <laughs> 
in my research into Macquarie Lighthouse, I came across Peter Shirk, who lived and worked around the lighthouse. Sure. Look, my name is Peter Shirk. Um, the reason I was a shepherd of lighthouses in 75 was employed by the Department of Transport uh, to look after navigational aids in New South Wales, which was all the lighthouses in New South Wales as a um, marine technician. He was actually featured in a Sydney Harbour Trust oral history project on Macquarie Lighthouse for their 200th anniversary. Let's have a listen to this. Yeah, I did live at Macquarie Lighthouse. Uh, that was that was the home base sort of thing. Uh, our workshop was in Alexandria, which is about 13 kilometres from where the lighthouse was. Uh, a lot of people associate with lighthouses being in remote spots, but Macquarie is right in the middle of CBD in Sydney. Yeah, people, I imagine, don't realise that they've got a lighthouse on their doorstep that they can appreciate exactly. at least from afar. Exactly. No, I lived there for 14 years from 75, December 75, when I moved in there to uh, 90, 89, I think it was, yeah. You would have all a vast, ex- yeah, you would have had a vast experience across, you know, all, obviously all the New all the New South Wales-based lights. Yes, that's from Queensland to Victoria. We looked after all the lights from Bingle right down to Green Cape. Amazing. And which one, if you had to pick one, I know it's a hard ask, which one is your favourite lighthouse and why? The prettiest lighthouse, I think, is Sugarloaf Point um, because of its you, – you, you drive into you drive into Seal Rocks and it's so pretty and pristine and then there's this little lighthouse stuck on top of a knob on a hill. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to describe it. It's a, yeah. a building well, it's, on it's a, a knob on a hill. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a pretty little light. Um, but then again, you have Baron Joe, which is a Baron Joe lighthouse, which is synonymous, you find, in the Home and Away episode all the time. And uh, – uh, I can recall them even starting the Home and Away, I think it was Home and Away, they did there and, um, when they first started in the 70s. We were on stage, you could see the filming going on, the antics going on, and the, on the filming on the, on the close, close sets or they were doing outside shots. It was quite unique. There really is something about Australian lighthouses and um, Australian television series. The other one is obviously Round the Twist, which is, you know, basically yeah, that was, that was a book. It's, there was uh, the split point, yeah, split point angles at uh, Anglesey, I think it is. Aries Inlet, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I guess you know, it's 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 uh, really building on, you know, the association of Australians and the coast and the ocean and the beach. And obviously yeah, of course, each of these places, you know, there is a light station. A lighthouse is becoming more synonymous than any sort of uh, advertising and what have you. They're, they're there quite regularly. Uh, people watch it and the kind of, majority of the lighthouses in New South Wales because they're accessible, easily accessible by road. Some of the other lights in Queensland, whatever, not as accessible. Um, Victoria, yeah, most of the lights there are quite accessible by road without too much drama getting there. Getting back to uh, Macquarie Lighthouse, Macquarie Lighthouse was quite unique because the mechanics that lived there, there was four mechanics that lived there and uh, we had a rotation of, uh, of, of duty on call. Um, the encore was in case there was a problem with any of the lights in New South Wales we can address. But we were also involved with a national plan for oil pollution. We used to do the monitoring of oil pollutions around the, on the ocean. If there was problems uh, around the coastline, we would react to it or we could respond to it by getting equipment there and actually doing the um, retrieval and uh, containment of oils. So we, we were pretty, pretty diversified. Hmm. Yeah, if you had a long association with Macquarie Lighthouse, um, yes. could you share a bit about Macquarie's history? You know, it's Australia's oldest navigational light. 
Um, well, it's the position of the first lighthouse in Australia. Originally, there was a tripod with a basket of coals on it, and then they decided, okay, we must build a lighthouse. So Governor Macquarie at the time, he um, asked for designs of lighthouses, and apparently there were many, but uh, Francis Greenway, he was the one who designed the original building. Now, Greenway was a convict that came out to Australia, um, the forgery, unknowing. <laughs> He built. He designed the first lighthouse. The first lighthouse was built um, from local quarry sandstone from the original quarry. It's still a Macquarie lighthouse, and um, the sandstone became um, unstable and quite porous over the period. And it was, that was 1817, and then it was rebuilt in 1881. So it only lasted about 60 years, I suppose. The lighthouse itself, the original one. And the, the second light was built. Uh, was designed by Barnett, who used to be the, uh, who was the state, I suppose you'd call architect for, the, um, for navigational aids or buildings in, in New South Wales. He designed a lot of lighthouses in, in New South Wales. And that's the major history. The original light was 1870 and the secondary light was 1881. Speaking of, you know, building and construction, I heard a rumour or I understand that there is a, a bunker underneath the lighthouse. Is that true? Oh, uh, but it's not necessarily a bunker. It was just a big platform for a uh, light, uh, searchlight. Oh, gotcha. Okay. No, I was imagining some kind of James uh, Bond-esque of bunker that's a secret subterranean, you know, den for the Well, there's a lot something. of subterranean tunnels around Sydney Harbour it's a story known. Colin used to be mined in Sydney Harbour. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. That's so interesting. So imagine what there's lots of mine well, shafts and tunnels. Yeah, and... there was mine shafts coming out to Cockatoo Island out to, uh, um, which um, well, I think it was an entrance or a venting place for coal. There was a coal seam underneath. Can you visit Macquarie Lighthouse, you know, aside from COVID? Yes, you can. Yeah, you can. You can have a visit to the light. Uh, you've got to make that appointment through the um, Harbour Trust, I believe. Um, oh, so it's not a living museum, for example, that you could go no, during visiting no. They don't. They have volunteers that look after the um, the um, visitors and what have you. I think the light still belongs to AMSA. AMSA does the maintenance on the lights, on the light, I believe. I don't know what the painting of that, what, who does the painting of the repairs and maintenance on the light, but I'm pretty sure it's still AMSA does it, not National Parks or Harbour Trust. That's so interesting. I know a lot of lighthouses, you know, particularly in Victoria, they are open to the public in the sense of a visitor centre. Um, yes. It's become yes. a tourist operation. I wonder why, do you know why Macquarie Lighthouse hasn't followed that pathway? Oh, hard to say. I, very hard to say. Being in a CBD, I think you might find parking and the limited amount of people that can go through at a time. So you're only supposed to have 10 or 12 people go through at a time. You can't have a um, cavalcade of 100 people going through every day. I don't think it'd be viable. And so, well, it could be viable, but you've got to pay somebody to do the guiding. Volunteers are soon have enough of doing something for nothing. <laughs> do you have any, any memorable moments during your time living at Macquarie Lighthouse that, you know, immediately think- spring to mind? I think the most significant was I had 2,000 people at the station for the um, um, bicentennial celebration, and they're all public servants, all from Canberra. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I had to oversee all these people and make sure that nobody could go on the light without me, uh, not even not even the minister or the directors. So I had to be there all the time. Um, the light wasn't open to that sort of general public, but uh, 2,000 people on the front lawn was fantastic, plus families and friends from mechanics and what that was quite a significant sort of day and a brilliant day. It's lovely, so almost it's, just reminiscing about that time. Yeah, so that was, well... <laughs> My father was there when he was alive, still alive, and um, Gareth Evans, he was the Minister of Transport at the time. I got a phone call from the helicopter contractor, and um, I can recall him saying to me, Pete, can you clear the cricket pitch? Because we've got an um, aircraft coming in. So I had to marshal everybody off the cricket pitch as such, because we did have a, a sort of a marked out cricket pitch we use on regular occasions between the light keeper, uh, between the mechanics and families. But I had to clear the helicopter area also aircraft could land and uh, I remember bringing Gareth up to my house and introducing to my wife and then to my um, father as well. My father, my father had the um, biggest grin on his face as of what well, this is my son. <laughs> so that was pretty that was pretty sickness. Many times we had governors come out and dignitaries from overseas we'd, we'd take through uh, through the light and introduce them to the White House themselves. Sir Roden Cutler, who was a governor in New South Wales, he, he and his wife Helen came out a number of times and um, had morning tea with me at my home in, after the visit, which was significant. It was a good time. It was a good time. It was something unique and it was limited to the number of people. Like our turnover staff was very limited. We didn't have a turnover staff. It was somebody got into the lighthouse service there, we call it the lighthouse service. They, they stayed there until the end. And yeah. what, you know, you spent decades in the lighthouse industry. What yeah. what do lighthouses mean to you? You know, why are you so drawn and interested in them? Uh, why? Well, it's quite unique. I, I finished my apprenticeship as a diesel a marine diesel fitter and uh, lighthouses, some of the lighthouses had primary generating, uh, primary generation. They had to generate their own electricity to operate. But I think just the remoteness of it, it's, um, how can you put it? I can tell you a little, I'll tell you a little story. I really shouldn't have anything to do with the ocean. I came to Australia in 1958 on a ship that burnt out and sank in the Red Sea. And then I became involved with the dredging industry when I did, was doing my apprenticeship. And then to lighthouses. And after lighthouses, I was working on battleships, uh, repairing and servicing battleships. I used to race power boats. My whole life had been revolved around the ocean. It's, it's, I tell people, that, well, what are you doing? <laughs> it's part of your, you know, upbringing. Your life. I yeah. suppose, yeah, it's, it's strange. And where I was born, I was born in, born in southern Germany, in Bavaria, and there was no water there. The closest lighthouse, I think, was in Lake Constance. It had two little, um, two little lighthouses in the... Um, in the Lake Constance area, which is about 100 kilometres from where I lived. And I didn't know that. <laughs> but look at you now. You, I, I, I feel like it's a human instinct maybe to seek adventure and almost the opposite. To, no, know, yes and no. I'm still yeah. in the marine industry. <laughs> I still look after boats. <laughs> <laughs> you found your true calling, I guess, or your true, your well, true home maybe. Well, I think the ocean's in my blood. <laughs> Well, the water's in my blood or something's in my blood, but I shouldn't have nothing to do with it. <laughs> Nearly coming to Australia and the, and the ship burned out in the sink and uh, we ended up in lifeboats and I raced powerboats. I had many accidents in powerboats and 
it was strange. If you had a message actually for the next generation coming through and, you know, have some of an interest in lighthouses, you know, what would your message to them be? Keep the light burning. As That's all I would say. Just keep it burning. Keep it going. Um, my little granddaughter said to her mother, she had nothing to do with lighthouses, my granddaughter, and Lisa, and she said to her mother, my daughter, she said, Dah. it was a foggy day and my daughter was taking at least to school and at least said, you know what we need out here? We need a lighthouse. And Sonny said, why would we need a lighthouse? So we can find our way home. <laughs> and that was from a five-year-old child. I had nothing to do with lighthouses. <laughs> It's a beautiful story that mm. the imagery of a lighthouse being a beacon of yeah, safety. In the western suburbs of Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine it? Maybe the new Aerotropolis no. will have a lake big enough for a lighthouse. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's, but that was a, maybe she, I don't know where she got it from. My daughter doesn't know where she even had the inclination from, and uh, she became very interested in my daughter and my granddaughter. My granddaughter very interested in lighthouses. She'll text me and say, look, I'm here, Grandpa, do you know where I am? And I've got to identify where she is. But that's not hard for Grandpa because Grandpa knows everything. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing before, you know, talking about a generational change, it sounds like, at least amongst your family, you're passing on that passion and the knowledge somehow. Yeah, well, my children, they they lived at the lighthouse. Um, It was quite ironic and uh, that I they reflect back onto it now. It's a job of job of passion. You know, you, you, you work seven days a week sometimes, and it didn't phase you. You'd be, we'd be working on top of a lighthouse and could be blowing thirty knots. You still did your job. We weren't even stra- in the old days. We weren't even strapped in. You didn't even have a harness on. If it got too blowy, you put a wrap around your neck so if it didn't fall off, well, that was the end of that anyway. They still found you. <laughs> <laughs> How times have changed. <laughs> That's a bit silly, <laughs> but no, no, it was a different sort of a different sort of environment to work in. A lot of things we done that you, you would never be allowed to do today. <laughs> you, you'd be so much strife. <laughs> yeah, that's um, that'd be that'd be another story. Wow, that was cool. He he didn't mention this, but in addition to Wallara Council, I know Macquarie University also use the lighthouse in their new branding. They're bringing the lighthouse back. Every time I hear about a lighthouse, you know, logo being used as the official emblem of an organisation or, as Peter mentioned, that politicians used to frequent lighthouses on their, you know, packed schedule, it just brings to mind or makes me think about rather what would our emblems be today if we were to, you know, establish a new organisation? What would the, the feature be of our era? I can't imagine us digging back into the past and using a, using a lighthouse for anything new. No, I think that's the problem. I think it would probably just be NFT and Bitcoins at this point. <laughs> <laughs> all our, um, maybe all of our old uh, cloth masks once we get over this, um, once we get past the pandemic. Burn them all. As Peter said at the end, you know, keep the light burning with your cloth masks. Exactly. I'm so interested at how interconnected he is to, I suppose, just the history of of Sydney. And it seems like a through line with so many of your guests that they really, because of their position at this lighthouse, they really get connected to the place that they're in. And, and I mean, the fact that he knows so much about Sydney Harbour and 
and its operations, I think, is so fascinating and one of the, the great things that must come with being a lightkeeper. It's a good observation you make, Max, because I think what these light keepers or people who worked in and around lighthouses really felt was that they were the centre of the community and the hub and they just love where they live and they love what they do and they kind of live and breathe everything and anything that is to do with where they are and what revolves around around the lighthouse. And you can you can hear that emotion and that passion every time they they speak about it. Yeah, it comes through so strongly. So in honour of Peter, we should keep the light burning. Keep the light burning. Thank you firstly to Peter Shirk for sharing his memories and passion for Macquarie Lighthouse. Thanks, of course, to my co-host Max for being himself. Up next, we leave the mainland and take a trip across Bass Strait, Tasmania, with Ron Felberg. Until then, stick around to listen to Ted Piers on Gabo Island. Thank you for listening. Could you speak about your time at Gabo Island? I, I've been told and I've seen it's quite a beautiful kind of pink sandstone light station. Where's this, she say? Gabo. Gabo Island. Oh, Gabo is, is a lovely tower there, just this oh, a lovely... Um, what colour? Uh, it's granite. Oh, it's pink a, granite. It's a pink granite. Yes, yeah. Um, oh, a lovely pink granite. Um, they say it makes a wonderful headstone in a in a cemetery. Um, just a superb tower. Um, I forget how high it is now. Um, it's quite tall, and um, a lovely looking um, classical shaped lighthouse. Do you know much about its history, when it was built and what prompted it being oh, built? Oh, yes. Now, we've got a book here that you should get hold of if you want to know something about people on lighthouses. It's called um, Lightkeepers of Gabo Island. And uh, just a second, I think my wife's getting it now. I think Jan- did Janine Jackson, right? Yes, yeah, that's the yes. one. And and there's um oh hang on a second scouting through things yes light keepers of Gabo Island Janine Jackson that's it that's one really good book on lighthouses. Light House. light 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 house lighthouse. <laughs> Lighthouse. Thanks for having me on your show. I've been a long time listener. I really love your work. <laughs>